Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 7. The Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 7. We're continuing with the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as it is unfolded inside of the Gospel Record of Luke. Remember that the Gospel Record of Luke is more detailed than the rest of the Gospel Records because Dr. Luke, who was a medical doctor, was also a great researcher and he took pains to go and not only hear the stories but also interview each of the people that was involved to go ahead and corroborate the story, to be able to confirm that these things Things were true. And so he had access to almost everybody. He was able to talk to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and speak to her about the things that she had learned and the things that she went through at the very beginning stages. He had access to all of the disciples and to be able to ex- talk to each of the disciples and interview them. And it was able to put together the gospel record of Luke as a research paper. And if you remember, it was not addressed to a church. It was a personal letter to one heathen person who had accepted Christ to confirm that these things were true. And it was just a personal letter that now we have under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that gives the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for it. Now as we've been following Jesus Christ, we're now in his early part of his ministry. He has already called the disciples unto himself to follow after him. And they're starting to learn what it is to follow after him. He's taking time to teach them. And now we come to an incident as the disciples are early in following after him. Where he's trying to teach them about faith. And with this we come to a very interesting case coming up here in the gospel record of Luke chapter 7. And notice with me in verse number 1. The gospel record of Luke chapter 7 and verse number 1. Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, Trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man, for I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him 
and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have found not so great faith. No, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. And if you have been marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about the centurion found in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 7? And notice with me in verse number 9, notice what Jesus describes, great faith. Great faith. And with this, the central person that's being dealt with is the centurion. And so maybe we could just put him as part of it, that this is speaking about the centurion. Maybe you want to put a dash or something. Great faith. The centurion, great faith. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and let's talk to him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would give us favor and mercy. Help us to understand, as you had declared that this man had great faith, what does that mean? What were you describing? Help us to understand and that we can apply it to ourselves, that we would desire what you called great faith. Again, because we're expecting you to do this the best that I know how, I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit and that you would get your own work accomplished through your word because we can trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now this account is centered about a person that we would call a centurion. Now a centurion was a Roman soldier. Now that's important to note that he was not Jewish. He was Roman. And he, as a Roman soldier, a centurion, if you were to take that word apart, you would have the word center, cent, which means 100. A centurion was often considered a person who had at least 100 soldiers underneath his authority, his care. And so he's not just a foot soldier, he's a commander. He's someone who oversees a garrison or a group of soldiers, about 100. And so here's a man of position, here's a man of power, and a man who is a heathen, not a Jew, not a Hebrew person, but a Gentile who is now dealing with Jesus Christ. And when it's all said and done, Jesus Christ is going to turn to the crowd and he is going to address them pointing and giving this man as an illustration that this man had great faith. Let's learn more about this. First of all, let's see what others thought of this man. What others thought of this man. Now, as always, whenever you study the Bible, we come to notice the parts of speech. In here, you're going to notice there is a lot of pronouns. What does a pronoun do? Remember, a pronoun replaces a noun. And so when you go through here, because there is a lot of pronouns, it is wise to keep track of which pronoun belongs to which. So we understand who we're speaking about, what is being addressed here, and that we're not confused. If you don't mind, as we go through here, let's see what others thought of this man speaking of the centurion. Notice, if you don't mind, starting at verse 1. Now when he, that's Jesus, had entered his sayings. Now remember in pre the previous chapter, in chapter number 6, Jesus Christ is starting to deal with the disciples and he's calling them to himself and he takes time to teach the disciples several different lessons about what does it mean to be a disciple. When he gets done teaching the disciples, it says that 
Now when he had ended his sayings in the audience of the people, he, Jesus, entered into Capernaum. Now remember that Capernaum is going to become their headquarters of where Jesus and the disciples are going to meet. And this is going to be the main headquarters of the ministry for the three and a half years that Jesus is ministering. So this is going to be an important place and this is where a lot of things are going to occur during the life of ministry of Jesus is in Capernaum. And so as they're in Capernaum, now remember if you're thinking about the region, Capernaum is in a region called Galilee. Inside of a map, you could think in your mind that you would have Judah on the very bottom. Then in between, or right north of that, you would have Samaria. And then you would have Galilee. Galilee is this whole region. And so you have a centurion, a Roman soldier, who is going to be having a garrison, not in Jerusalem, not in Judea, but in two countries, two provinces away. And so again, getting a map in your head, he's not dealing with Jewish people. He's not dealing with, in this case, he's not dealing with someone who's related or working with the Jewish people, uh, meaning Jerusalem. Here is someone who has a garrison inside of Capernaum. Now, as we continue to address this, notice with me in verse 2, and a certain centurion's servant. So here's a centurion who has a servant who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. So here's a centurion and we start to get a little bit about his character. Here is someone who has a servant and he cares for a servant. And he cares for a servant so much that he doesn't want to see the servant die. Now again, that speaks a lot about a a man. Sometimes you may think of a military commander or a Roman soldier back in those days that would be heartless towards those around him. He's not even a Roman soldier. It's a servant. It's just some servant in the house. But it speaks loads about the centurion that he cares about his servant and he doesn't want him to die. Verse number three, and when he, the centurion, heard of Jesus, he, the centurion, sent unto him Jesus, the elders of the Jew beseeching him, Jesus, that he, Jesus, would come and heal his, the centurion's servant. Now notice this. This is a big deal. The centurion, when he hears that Jesus comes, and he's heard, already heard a little bit about what Jesus has done, who does he send? He sends the elders of the Jews. Now think about this, especially if you can understand the politics of the day, that the Jewish people did not usually get along with the Romans. And here's a Roman centurion who sends Jewish leadership to go talk to Jesus. This is already unusual. And once again, it's speaking to the centurion and who he is. That he's someone that he can trust. He has a relationship with the Jewish leadership that he says, Hey, can you do me a favor? Can you go ask Jesus to go heal my servants? Yeah, we'd be glad to help you out. And they went. Notice as we see this progressing in verse number 4. And when they, who are this they, the elders of the Jews, when they, the elders of the Jews, came to Jesus, they, the elders, besought him, Jesus, instantly saying. Now notice this. These elders of the Jews come up to Jesus and they don't dilly-dally. They don't wait. They, don't, they just immediately go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, we have a request for you. Now remember, Jesus has been dealing with Pharisees and other leaders of the Jews, and they've been against him. But these leaders of the Jews have boldly go up to Jesus, not with malice, but they go up to him honestly with a request. They approach him. And notice what they say about the centurion. That he, the centurion, was worthy 
whom he, Jesus, should do this. Now think about this. These leadership of the Jews come to Jesus and say, we want you to heal this man's servant because this guy is a good guy. Now think about this. The, the Jewish people normally hate the Romans. They're in their country. They've invaded. And yet this man has such a great testimony and such a great spirit that the Jewish people say, you know what? Why you should heal him? Because he's a good guy. Because he's worthy of this. He is really good. Notice what they say about him. Verse number 5. For he, the centurion, loveth our nation. Now think about that. Most Jewish, most uh, Romans who were assigned to Jewish people, to the Jewish thing, it was one of the assignments that you wish you couldn't go to. It's almost like being in the military and getting sent to Minot, North Dakota. You're like, what did I do to deserve this assignment? There's nothing out here. They hate me. That's why they sent me out here. We used to say, why not Minot? And it's just one of those things. For the Jewish people, a Roman assignment there was almost a punishment. The reason why Pilate got sent out there was because he fell out of favor. It wasn't because he was a good guy. It was like, oh no, every Roman governor did not want that assignment to deal with these troublesome Jews who were always rebelling. It was always, nobody wanted that assignment. The Roman soldiers knew that they were always and a threat of insurrection. The Jewish people every year during the Passover time would have people that would set up riots. So if you could imagine, I get assigned to a country where I could expect riots all the time. Great times. Oh, not only that, you had a group of people called the Zealots. Those were Jewish people that they would plan assassinations of hot targets, whether they were publicans or actually Roman personnel who were in leadership. So how would you like that assignment? I'm going out to the Jewish people where they're always rebelling. They're always rioting. And guess what? Some of them may try to assassinate me. That's a great assignment. But here is a, Jewish, here is a Roman centurion who has fallen in love with the land and falling in love with the people. And he has this testimony that these Jewish elders, these leadership of the Jewish people come up and say, he's worthy for you to help. He's someone who loves us our country. Now that's a big thing to say about a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion. He loves our land. Notice this, and he, the centurion, has built us, the Jewish leadership, a synagogue. Now you really have to love the land to be able to fork over money that you don't have to, to build them a place. This is a big deal. The Jewish synagogues were a teaching place that was uh, for the Jewish people to go and learn about the Bible. Under Jewish tradition, uh, just their practice, that every time there was 10 families there, they would build a synagogue. And so if you had 20 families, you would have two synagogues. If you had 30 families, and they made it so it was always small so the people could get the attention they needed. So that way they could get the care and they could be taught. And so when it came time that they needed another Jewish synagogue to take care of the Jewish population, this guy said, hey, I'll be glad to help you out. Can I just build the building for you? Can I, here, here's the materials, here's the stuff. That's how much he loved the culture. He loved the people. He loved the people that's there. So much that what did the Jewish elders say about this man? He's worthy. He took an interest of the Jewish faith. He cares for our country. He built us a synagogue. This is someone, Jesus, who is worthy for you to answer his prayers. 
He is someone here who loves us. Now again, this is the testimony of the centurion. That's a pretty good testimony. Especially coming from natural enemies who are saying he's not our enemy. The other Roman soldiers, they may, this guy's not our enemy. What a great testimony he had. So we see what others said about this man. Let's look and see what this man thought of himself. Let's see about what this man thought of himself. So Jesus goes with them in verse number 6. Jesus goes with them, the Jewish elders. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, Jesus, saying to him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou, Jesus, should enter to my roof. So as Jesus is starting to come, the Jewish elders have intercepted him and said, hey, can you come with us? This man has a has a servant he cares for that needs to be healed. And by the way, this is a good guy. He's built a synagogue. He loves the land. This is someone that, that's worth your investment. And Jesus said, let's lead the way. And so as they start going, they start going to the house. The centurion, who I imagine in my mind, has been looking out the window. Maybe he's on a hilltop. Uh, house is on the hilltop. And he starts seeing the crowd come. And he says, oh, oh, Jesus is coming. Hey, hey, Go out there and go tell them that Jesus doesn't have to come here. I'm not, I, this is the Jewish king of kings. This is the Messiah. This is the one who's been healing people. I'm a nobody. I don't, he doesn't need to come all this way to come in here. I'm a nobody. That's a pretty humble approach. Normally, if you think of a, a military commander, um, they're full of themselves. Oh, yeah. We have plenty of jokes about pilots, how they... You know, the difference between them and God and how they think of themselves. It's just something with it. When you're in that place of authority and you're used to people obeying you, sometimes along with it comes the idea that I deserve this. Or I'm, I'm, I'm the greatest. Everyone should acknowledge how great I am. But here's a man who's fallen in love with the people. He's tried to be helped to them. And he's also humble about it that he says, you know what? I'm not worthy for him to come. Tell him that he doesn't have to come. In fact, notice what else he tells him. In verse number seven, wherefore, this is still what the centurion has had his friends go tell Jesus, wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come to thee. Now listen to this. He says, not only am I not worthy for you to come to me, but you know what? I'm not worthy to go to you. You're, you're, you're God. You're Jesus. You're the miracle worker. I'm a nobody. I'm, I don't want to waste your time. But then notice what he says here. He says, But say to thee in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth this. Now, here's a man that says, listen, I'm not worthy for you to come in. All I need for you to do is give your word. I know how authority works. I'm a man of authority. If my boss tells me to do something, it gets done. If I tell a soldier what to do, I don't worry about if it's going to be done or not. It's going to be done. That's how authority works. I say, go do this, and it is done. No questions asked. I say, someone go there. And no questions asked, it is done. If my boss tells me to do something, I do it. No questions asked, it's going to be done. That's how authority works. So Jesus, all you have to do is give your word and that is enough. You don't have to waste time to come up here. You don't have to do any action. I don't have to go to you. All you have to do is give your word. That's all we need. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? He says, I don't need a show. All I need is your word. 
So what did this man think of himself? Then we come to what Jesus thought of him. So we started what others thought of him. We saw what he thought of himself. Now let's see what Jesus thought of him. Now the centurion understood authority and said, just give me your word and that's done. Notice verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he, Jesus, marveled at him. Do you know, that's a powerful statement. This centurion just made the God of the universe go, wow. It must be something big to make Jesus go, wow. Wow, that's good. That's big. That's great stuff. So much that Jesus said, this is good. He turned around and faced the crowd. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, the centurion, and turned him, Jesus, about and said to the people that followed him. So if you can imagine, there's a big crowd. Everyone wants to see Jesus. The disciples are following after him. This crowd is following after him. The Jewish elders are following after him. He gets stopped. A, a, a friend comes by and says, listen, the centurion says, you don't need to come this way. And he doesn't need to come to you. All you need to do is give your word. That's it. And it'll be done. That's, that's all he needs. Jesus goes, wow. He turns around and addresses the crowd because this is a great teaching moment. And notice what Jesus said. I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. What was it that made Jesus go, Wow. What was this that made Jesus go, I haven't seen this great of faith. Nobody, no Hebrew person that I've met has had this great of faith. We have to go to a Gentile to find someone with this great of faith. What is it that makes this great faith? I mean, are you curious? Do you want to know? What is it that made this great faith? Well, the centurion, when he said, all I need is your word. If you give the word, it's going to happen. He says, just like I'm under authority, if I tell someone to do it, it's going to happen. I understand how authority works. Your God, if you say it, it happens. When Jesus said, what great faith, he's saying, here's a man that takes me at my word, period. Takes me at my word, Period. The Bible says that we're supposed to do everything in simplicity and godly sincerity. But as a fact, we make things complicated. May I prove it to you? This is what the Bible says. Yeah, but we made things complicated. God says, take me at my word. And you know what we try to do is we try to evaluate it and try to find the loopholes. And we try to find the exceptions. I taught high school for a long time. I dealt with teenagers. I knew that whenever they said, but what if, normally it wasn't because they were asking questions out of curiosity. They were trying to find the way to not obey. They were trying to look for the exception. What is it that I don't have to do? You know, we tend to do that quite a bit. You know, the Bible is quite simple. Read your Bible. But I can't because this and this and this. Oh, I can't. And we come up with all the excuses of why we can't do it. The Bible says not forsake the assembling of ourselves. But we have people excuses. You've heard me give the tale of a preacher who knocked on some guy's door to invite him to Sunday school. And the guy says, I can't. Well, why not? Because there's a quarter milk in my refrigerator. 
What does that have to do with anything? He says, one excuse is good as another. People like to give excuses of why we can't obey. We make it complicated. And God says, what made great faith? If the Bible says it, if God says it, if it's his word, that settles it. That's it. That's what great faith is. Taking God at his word. Think about how many times the Bible describes faith. The Bible says, and let's just turn to a couple passages. We're coming back to Luke eventually, but turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. And notice with me, the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. Hebrews, chapter number 11. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 gives what we often call the hall of faith. Because often it says, by faith, by faith, by faith. By the way, when you study this, you'll see by faith, then you'll see the person's name, and then you'll see the action that is taken. In Hebrews chapter 11, we don't see it defined, we see it described. What is faith? Well, we could see it always produces action. God said it, and this is how I respond. Notice with me in verse 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, for the evidence of things not seen. What things that are hoped for? Well, God said it, and I believe it. And God has evidence, so I'm going to trust it. It is the evidence of things not seen. I don't see it, but there's plenty of evidence that God's going to keep his word, so I'm going to obey it. Notice with me in verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Well, that's a pretty important statement. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now notice this ends this off. That he is. That he's what? That he is God. That he is God. What is faith? Taking God at his word. God said it. That's all I need. I'm taking him at his word. That he must believe. For he that cometh to God must believe that he, God, is God. If I'm going to have faith, and if I'm going to have great faith, I start off by recognizing that God is God. What does that mean? He's boss. If he says it, it's going to happen. If he says it, it's going to be done. And if I have great faith, if he says it, I am going to respond. Let me prove that to you. Verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he, God, is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Verse number 7, By faith... Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark. How'd this conversation go? Now remember, this is in Genesis, and it had never rained. It had never rained. God had watered things with a dew system at this time. And so God pulls aside Noah and says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And he says, what's an ark? Well, it's just a big boat. Okay, why? Because water, because it's going to rain. What is that? Well, water is going to come from the sky. Well, it's never done that before. And yet, because he trusted God, that God said that the impossible was going to happen. That water was going to come from the sky and flood the earth. It had never happened before, but because God said it, Noah believed it. 
and begin to build the ark. What evidence did he have? Did he start seeing clouds? Was it just starting to turn dark? What evidence did he have? That he trusted that God was going to keep his word. God had kept his word before. He's going to keep his word now. So God told me to build an ark. And that water is going to come from the sky. And he began to build the ark. And you know what happened? Everybody else started saying, Noah, what are you doing? Well, I'm building an ark. Why? Because water is going to come from the sky. Are you crazy? And people would come to watch him. Then watch what crazy Noah doing. I mean, can you imagine your next door neighbor building an ark? Like, what's the guy doing? And they would look at him. By the way, it took him 120 years to do it. That's, that's commitment. Do you really have to believe that God's going to bring water from the sky to spend a project, your life on 120 years on a project? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you think there was times that, you know, the little voice said, you know, it's not really going to happen. But he had to say, no, God said it, and that is all I need. And because God said it, he was moved with fear. What does that fear mean? God's going to do it. I, I need to get this done because God is going to do it. God said this, and it's going to happen. And he built an ark. Notice all of this as you go through there, read it on yourself, that it'll say, by faith, a person's name, and an action as a result of what was told to them. That's faith. Faith always produces action. So when the centurion said, all I need is your word. If you say it, it's going to happen. That's all I need. Jesus said, that's great faith. Here we could see in the book of Hebrews that without faith it is impossible to please God. Why? Because either you believe God or you don't. When you believe God, God said it, that's all I need. God says that's faith. In fact, let's define faith. Hebrews 11 describes faith. Hebrews chapter 12, we could see what is faith. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 is the definition of faith. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And it goes on to talk about Jesus dying on the cross for the joy that was set before him. But what is faith? It's looking unto Jesus. It's taking him at his word. Now, if faith is taking God at his word, great faith is believing God's word that's enough. May I ask another question? Where do we get faith? Do we sit here and squint our eyes and go, come on, it's faith, it's faith, come on, where do I get? Well, the Bible answers that question. Where do we get faith from? Turn with me to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter number 10. Where do we get faith? Well, I'm so thankful that I don't have to come up with the answer. We can just find what the Bible says. Jesus addressed the crowd and said, I haven't seen such great faith. Why? Because a man said, all I need is your word. That is enough. Period. How many times do we hem and haw? How many times do we not believe God's word? How many times do we want to see if we could stretch it to really see if it's going to happen or not? What is great faith? What is it? It's just believing God's word period, without the objections, without looking for the loopholes, without trying to explain it away, taking God at his word. Now, where do we get faith? Hebrews, or sorry, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now we know the hearing here is the middleman. So where does faith come from? The word of God. 
Where does faith come from? The word of God. You said, but wait a second. You said faith is taking God at his word. Yes. And that great faith is believing God's word, period. Yes. So where do I get faith? From the word of God. Will you just, are you circling? No, no, no. What happens is that you take a promise from God's word and you apply it or you obey it and God fills his part and you go, it worked. Let me try another one. And the more that you obey God's word, the more he keeps his word, the more that you trust that God's going to keep his word. And it goes on and it builds up upon each other. It's just taking God at his word. This is what God said. I believe it. I obey it. God fulfilled his part. Wow, it worked. I'm going to find another one. God said it. I believe it. God did his part. It worked. I take another step. That's as easy as it is. That's why, by the way, the most important thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself. Why? You need promises. You need something to obey. If you ever find yourself in a lack of faith as a Christian, find something to obey. You said, I don't know what to obey. Call your preacher up. I'll give you something. You said, how does that work? Hebrews chapter 11 or 13 verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch over your souls that they may do it with joy and not with grief for this is unprofitable for you. The Bible says if you have nothing else to obey, find your preacher, he'll give you something. And he's watching after you so he's going to give you something good. Try. <laughs> what a wonderful thing. Faith is just taking God at his word. And Jesus said, this is great faith. Why? Because all you have to do is say it, and I believe it, period. Well, what happens? So, Jesus is coming down. Turn with me back to the Luke chapter 7. Luke comes down with his big crowd. The centurion sends a guy and says, Listen, you don't need to come up here, and I don't need to come to you. All we need is your word. Well, what happens? Is that the end of the story? Do we go, okay. Well, God says what happened. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 10. Luke chapter 7 and verse number 10. And they that were sent. So this is the elders and the friends of the centurion. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Now, by the way, this isn't that he had the sniffles. The reason why the man is concerned because this guy is ready to die. And so when they left a couple minutes ago to go get Jesus, the servant's about ready to die. Imagine your mind, he's coughing up blood, that he's looking gray and ashen. He's starting to look thin. He's, he's, you could tell that the pallor of death is just on him. And they step down and they're concerned. They're probably thinking, by the time we get back there, he's not going to be there. They come down. Jesus says, all right, let's go. And as they start going, someone else intercepts them. All you need is God's word. That's it. Okay. Jesus said, by the way, Jesus didn't say anything. He turned around and said, great faith. He didn't say, all right, abracadabra, or be healed. Jesus didn't say anything. And so he just said, man, I haven't seen such great faith. The guys left right then and there, after Jesus said that, they returned to the house. And you know what they found? That servant who was dying just a couple minutes ago is alive and moving and functioning. Why? Because of faith. The man said, all I need is Jesus' word. He, it doesn't matter where his word's at. He doesn't have to say his word in front of me. And I don't want to be in front. As long as he gives his word, no matter where it's at, it's enough. And when they came back, they found it was true. It was enough. So let me ask you, dear friend. 
What is your faith like? Now, if I could give you an encouragement before we ask the following question, if I could give you some encouragement, it is not necessarily how much faith you have that matters. It is the object of your faith. There's lots of people who have faith in their causes, Mother Earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, whatever. It's not how much faith you have as opposed to what is the object of your faith. The object that we're talking to is God. And if God gives his word, that is enough. The faith is that God is going to keep his word, that God is God. But if you do desire that great faith, and I hope you do, what is it? That God says it, and that's enough. Now, pause. We all know that we're in different maturities, and maybe you can look back, and maybe you can look at where you are. But how much fight do you, have you given God? Simple things. Read your Bible, and you come up with every reason why you couldn't get to your Bible reading. When God just said, do it. It should be just, yes sir, and it's done. Hey, you need to pray. Well, I got too busy. I got this. And we come up with all the excuses why we couldn't do it. God makes things simple. We make things complicated. Have you ever been prompted by God to witness to someone to pass out a track? And you talk yourself out of it? You give all the reasons why not to do it? We are the ones who make things complicated. In fact, if you go look in the Bible and look at the soul winners, God spends more time trying to get people to go than it actually took for them to get saved. Look at Jonah. All the work that he did just to get the guy to go to Nineveh. It took more to get, you know, you think about Paul when he got put in blindness when he first met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And God sent a guy, I think it was Cornelius, to go, hey, Go see Paul and go bring him to your house. And he started arguing with God. No, no, God, you understand. He's coming to go hunt us down. Did God already know what Paul was doing and where he was at? But the guy was arguing with God. No, no, no. Think of Peter. How many times he argued with Peter? Even before and after his death. Peter's coming up with objections. Why I can't do this? Why I can't obey? And Jesus is saying, let me tell you what great faith is. God said it, that's enough for me, period. If God said it, it will be done. What is your faith like? Are you still at a stage where you want to make things complicated? Are you still at a stage where you're trying to argue with God of why this doesn't apply to you or this isn't really for you or maybe it's for someone else or the reason why I can't do this is because... God said to do all things in simplicity and godly sincerity. God makes things simple. We make things complicated. What type of faith is it that you have? The object of your faith should be secure. It's looking unto Jesus. But if God says it, is it a done deal? Or does it have to be argued and fought and drug before you finally get thrown into it and said, okay, fine, I guess I'll do it. What is your faith like? 
you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.